From the heart of darkness, it's the Digigods. Now here's two errand boys sent by grocery clerks to collect the bill, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. It's so good to have you back and to have Corey back and, and uh, to have an intro back. So, Corey, to whom do we owe that amazing intro? That was sent in by Stuart Moncure, who loves the smell of movie references in the morning. Uh, welcome back, Mark. Well, thank you, Ross. Hi, everybody. I think, Mark, Mark, do you have news to break to everybody? Well, I mean, I don't want to make it seem like a whole thing, but yeah. here, here's, here's, here, here it is. Here's the news. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready? Ready for the news. It's very exciting stuff. Wait, here we go. Mesdames et messieurs, je vais quitter mon emploi et aller en France pour environ deux mois. Oui, c'est vrai. Au début, je serai heureux. Alors, je vais être sans abri. So, if I can translate that. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to quit my job and go to France <laughs> for about two months. Yes, it's true. Mm. At first, I will be happy. Then I will be homeless. So that is the plan. All right. Very I'm going good. to quit my job. Yeah. And I'm going to go to Paris. Very exciting. Two months, maybe three. Because here's yeah. the thing. I, I, I can go to Paris for three months on my passport, yeah. right? 90 yeah. days. Yeah. So assuming the money holds out. Yeah. I can be there for three months. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see what happens. All right. There you go. Well, so in the in the meantime, then uh, Tim will be uh, will be stepping up and stepping in, and uh, happy to do so. Now this uh, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, rent out my apartment as soon as I have not given notice yet at my job, but this well, is what's happening. We we will uh, we begin the countdown. It's you know it's gonna be however you know a few more weeks. We got you for a few more weeks, Correct. at least yeah. So uh, and then uh, you know then it'll be what it'll be. Right? Yes, I don't yeah. know what is going to happen. But but we are launching the website probably this week and uh and we'll uh you know you will continue to contribute to that and and uh you're you know you're we're, we're all we're all still moving forward and doing what we do. Now wait now how, uh, did did you guys talk about the website in my absence? Uh yes. I had a I had a good sit down with Kim and she walked me through all the all the the whiz bang fun stuff. So yes. So, uh, so does the, the it's going to be a it's going to be a work in progress. You know, we we just want to make sure that once it's up, that it's not just a complete and total misfire and uh, and well, it will be that. Yeah, it'll be a work in progress. So, like, like anything else in life, you know, like well, people. Well, so does the does the listener know what's happening? Have they been told? Uh, uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody knows there's going to be a website. So the the Synagogue site, long overdue, will finally launch this week. And, uh, you know, it'll have blogs and reviews and uh, commentary and eventually more elaborate features, uh, some of which I've been working diligently to, one of which I've been working very diligently to try to put together for the better part of the last eight months. Uh, has not been easy, but, uh, and it's, it's kind of amazing. It's I, longer than that even. It's been uh, good grief since October. So it's well, going to be almost a year that I've been trying to put one of these pieces together. Yeah, but it's worth what? it. It's worth it. It's been worth it. It's not have taken a year. Well, no, for a, for a particular piece. This is an integrated piece. Okay. I'll, I'll, you, you, know what, you know what I'm talking about. You just I haven't do? registered. Yeah, you do. I've talked to you about it. But, it's, but it's, it's, it, it requires <laughs> coordinating a lot of different companies. Okay. But it's, but it's, uh, it, which has been tough. Which has been tough. But in I'm any case. looking forward to whatever the hell it is you're talking about. You know, I'll tell you afterwards. So we have a website launching, and I will be uh, blogging yeah. occasionally from, from yeah. uh, when this finally happens. Yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up right now the, a photograph of my real estate agent. I'm sh showing it to Wade. This guy is the, the, literally when I leave is dependent upon him and how good he is as a guy who leases condos. Well, if he is as good at leasing condos as he is at coordinating the handkerchief in his pocket with his tie. This guy's then... such a dork. He, he <laughs> First of all, this is about 30 pounds ago. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. He was recommended by the guy, he's, the gal, he was recommended by the woman who, who found this place for me. Right. My condo. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, let's go for it. And then he showed me, this is very interesting to the listener, by the way, very yeah. interesting. He showed me the comps. Yeah. In terms of what I can expect <laughs> In terms of uh, rental, yeah, right. Now the whole idea, of course, is if I is if I rent my place out, yeah, I want to be able to cover my nut, right? Yeah, want to be able to cover my mortgage, my okay. property taxes, my HOAs, sure, that, insurance, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. 
Um, I because I bought at the top of the market because I'm an. Idiot. I don't even know how to how to read this. This is just like well, a giant you, spreadsheet. Because you lived in one home your whole life and you'll die there. I. It's because, just a giant spreadsheet. So the idea is that I I think I can just get to right above my nut. Okay. Because I don't want I don't want to lease it for less because then I'm eating money every month. As it is, I'll be eating health insurance, cell phone. Fun. Good. Fun for two months, then I'm homeless. Yeah. Well. And by the way, I have to lease this place out for a year. Ooh. One year. Wow. Now I can come back to LA, take a job, and go rent a place. But yeah. I'm saying I, I could not live here for a year. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Oh, God, no earthquake, no earthquake, no earthquake, no earthquake. Oh, please, God, <laughs> no earthquake. Do you have earthquake insurance? Yeah, we do. Oh, we're good. Not only do I have earthquake insurance. If you, when you live here in the valley, you need it. Well, also, I have. Um, this is like sitting on a sandbox. I have assessment insurance. Oh. Right. Assessment insurance? Well, here's the thing. Let's say there's an earthquake and this place crumbles to the ground. Yeah. And it costs uh, a million dollars to rebuild it. Yeah. Each of the 15 owners is assessed one-fifteenth oh. of that cost. Oh. Right? So in order to hedge your bets against that, That's you take out assessment insurance. So you pay, let's say I, I would pay the first $20,000 of the assessment, and then insurance would pay the rest. I only I only know about brush fire insurance. It's just, uh, you've had brush fires. Welcome to the uh, insurance podcast. You know what's funny is that people <laughs> think that like L.A. You know, what, you know what? We would be so much more successful if we did an insurance podcast. No, you know that? You know how many more people would listen to an insurance it, podcast? It's a very low bar because very, very little people listen to this. But you know what's funny is that people don't realize in, in, in a way mm-hmm. L.A. kind of does have extreme weather. Oh, yeah, of course I mean, it not does. Not like Houston, obviously. It's not, it's not the same kind. It's a different kind of extreme. I mean, I mean, literally, you've had there are brush fires that cover the mountains. There's one right now. Like Corey, I, you, you, did you see the pictures? I did on on Facebook. Corey, Corey's like taking pictures from his his window of the the giant massive brush fire, and it is so massive. I had ash on my car. I'm like 30 miles away. And there's also, by the way, extreme non-weather, which is the drought that yeah. plagued the, the valley and the yeah. city for five years, yep. which is now over, thankfully. Yeah. It just doesn't rain. It doesn't rain. Or snow. Although it might be said before we move on, people don't realize that the reason why, one of the reasons why the movie industry moved to the mm-hmm. West Coast. Yes. From the, you know, the movie industry began sure. in the East Coast, moved to the West Coast, was because there was all sorts of different types of weather available to them mm-hmm. within an hour. Yep. If you want to shoot in the snow, get in yep. your car, drive an hour, you can shoot in the mountains. That's it. If you want to shoot at the beach, get in your car, you drive can, 30 minutes, go to the beach. You can go from Big Bear to Zuma Beach to uh, the Salton Sea or Death Valley, you can, I mean, within an hour. You can, I mean, you, you can, you know, at, at least back then you could uh, with, with no traffic. Yeah, now you it's could, five hours. I mean, yeah, you had, you, you had snowy peaks and, and lakes and beaches and, uh, you know, arid desert. Yeah, I mean, it was... It so was not, only the, not only was the concentration of corporate power that was in the East that the movie business wanted to get away from, yeah. it was also the fact that there was this... Access to all sorts of different weather you want to shoot in. And it never rains, so you don't have to worry about rain. And great Mexican food, right? Did they know that at the time? No. Did Louis B. Mayer know that? No, I don't think he cared. Did he, Louis B. Mayer ever have, like, a burrito or an enchilada? I don't think so. He was a fat guy. He had a lot. Yeah. You know what's funny with guys like that? But he went to, but he went to Musso and Frank's, and he had, you know, the, the, the liver and cheese or whatever it was that they served. <laughs> I can't eat there. You know that? Musso and Frank's is great. I, I just, everything great. on the menu, everything on the menu is some kind no. of... Some kind of slaughtered mammal that I don't eat, or or with and their organs that are it just no. it's it's all old school. Food. Yes, I'm not old school food. First of all, they have a great martini, which you wouldn't know about. No, but also they have, um, you know, they have a lobster cocktail, shrimp yeah, I cocktail. I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't no, no, why? Because shrimp has do, do a shrimp have hooves? Is that why shrimp? Have no, hooves? but they don't it's have seafood. Hooves. Huh? It's seafood. We, is it I shell eat, food or seafood? I eat I eat Middle Eastern food. I eat Persian food. I eat Thai. I eat uh, you know French food. I don't I I, I don't understand. It's a great know, like, show by the way. Great Italian food. <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Indian food for crying out loud. That's what I yeah. eat. Okay, so we've got some, we got some listener mail. We're gonna kick, kick through some listener mail. You haven't been here for a few weeks. Listener mail. You know, Nadim sat in last few weeks. Did he? Yeah. No. Yeah, because because Tim was on his big uh, family genealogy and eclipse tour. And know? and you were Tim was in Milwaukee and St. Louis oh, and all over the place. Wait, yeah. so what, what what is Nadim doing? Uh, well, Nadim's uh, getting his feature going, you know. And is he, he actually getting his feature going. It's I mean I'm not going to jump the gun or anything, but there is some the very cleared. There are some very interesting uh, things happening. Cast. Yeah, very very uh, half cast Any, actually. Anybody attached that gets some money? 
possibly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't really say more. But okay. uh, I, I don't care about that. All I care yeah. about with the Deem is the uh, collapsible pizza box. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, he's still got that. Nadim, okay, Nadim, who you've met now through the podcast, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I liked him a lot. I haven't seen him in years, but I always liked him a lot. He invented a collapsible pizza box. He's, he's in addition to being a very, very talented filmmaker, he, he's like a wizard. He has a, an inventor's mind. This thing, he, yeah. showed, it, he showed it to us. Yeah. This, it, it will take a large pizza box, as mm -hmm. you would get. Any college kid knows what a large pizza box looks like. Yep. And it is collapsible, totally made out of cardboard. Right, yeah. it collapses into the size of about a DVD case, right? Yeah, and it, but it's it's not bulky. It's 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 amazing. This thing blew my mind. The only reason why I don't think every single solitary pizza company has not has not bought this from him, yeah, is either because they want to find a way to invent it themselves and not pay him. What I I don't know. I, I, I it, it is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. The, he took an empty pizza box and the goddamn thing, I swear to Christ, it just folds it up easily into the size of a DVD case and, and about the same thickness. Well, we may as well plug the website then. It's, it is ecofold.com. Eco-fold.com. I, did, well, I, didn't, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know how had a website. Yeah. I haven't talked to you Ecofold.com. Seriously, you, you have to go, go to ecofold.com. Yeah. Solutions, is that it? Uh, let's see. a great see. show, by yeah, the way. I don't... This is uh, a great show. Doesn't have the uh, the little video on there, but uh, anyway. Ecofold. Yeah, there's on. nothing on it. But anyway, that's that's the uh, that's the company. Oh, it says Nadim though. Nadim at ecofold.com. Yeah. What I'm saying is yeah. th this thing. I swear to Christ, you will, this thing will blow your mind. It, no, it's I it's amazing. You know I, I, if, if if Domino's would I just was, pay him half a cent. It, I was I remember the first prototype. I remember it exactly. I remember when he when he 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 had you know made the whole thing and he brought it over and he showed how to work. I just I just thought I don't even know how your brain. I don't even know. I, I wouldn't even. Where do you start? I don't it's know. not a gag. It's the real thing. No, it's the real thing. It's like a full size pizza box, and then you just go clip clip clip, fold fold fold, put, and it just drops into the trash, and you don't have to like bend and scream and struggle and. You know, we shot a uh, we shot a promotional video for that at one point. Did you know that? That's why it didn't sell because you shot something. No, no, no. There's a there's a great little. I, I oh gosh, I've got to go find it. Um, it was a it was a whole it was a full day shoot, and the whole idea was that there was there was like a big it was shot like a silent film, and I was I was look I was the I was the grip and gaffer on the thing. You know, Nadine put the whole thing together. It was beautiful. It's a beautiful little promotional deal. There's a big, got a big muscle bound, muscle bound uh, bodybuilder guy, and it was shot like a silent film, and the muscle bound guy cannot collapse the full-sized pizza box as quickly as this wimpy little kid can do the eco-fold, fold up, and drop it in the trash. It's great. It's really one of life's great mysteries. Why it is, this thing really. has not made him rich. I know. Great show, by the way. Have I mentioned anyway. this was a great show? So here we go. Here we go. Listener mail. We've got some listener mail. Uh, so the first one is from Al in uh, San Francisco, who sent us a, uh, he, he just sent us a link to the uh, Orpheum Theater canceling It's Gone With The Wind screening. Uh, because they didn't want to hurt people's feelings in this very inflamed atmosphere of tearing down statues and, and, and beating up Nazis and Antifa it, and everything else. You know else. what? It's not even that. So, so It's not even that. Because I heard this story and it yes, pissed me off. Yes. You, you, it's not even that. It's, it's, it's really just the bearing of history. It's the same, it's the same thing whenever they try to uh, screen yeah. Birth of a Nation. Yeah. As if somehow if you just ignore your history, it's going to go away. You know, it's an it is it is an interesting discussion. As I think everybody knows by now, I am 100% uh, pro free speech, 100% anti censorship. I don't care what it is. You know, uh, I I I love Lenny Riefenstahl's movies. I love uh, Eisenstein's movies, notwithstanding the fact that they both worked for horrible, horrible dictators. There are things to learn, and uh, you, you struggling with that is important. And is Gone with the Wind the most politically incorrect movie ever made? No. Is it politically correct? No. I, I don't even think Gone with the Wind is a good movie. Uh, I, I really find it excruciatingly boring and, uh, you, you know, kind of uh, an atypical example of everything that's wrong with movie making from that period. However, the process by which the film was made, the fact that the book was a phenomenon, the fact that the movie remains one of the most successful entertainment phenomena of all time all of the details around that are instructive and i don't think we do our i think we do ourselves a tremendous disservice by um focusing on one at the exclusion of the others case in point uh about a week ago tim and i were uh, supposed to be guests at the uh there was a, a film week thing at the ace theater downtown the ace theater is an old movie palace old rococo movie palace now owned by the ace hotel 
and, which is adjacent. It was originally the UA Theater. It was built by Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks and D.W. Griffith and Charlie Chaplin. And uh, it's beautiful. It was, you know, what, what's the name of that preacher that used to do the... Uh, he, used to have, he used to have his, his big uh, revivals uh, down there. Uh, Gene uh, Scott. Uh, Gene Scott. That's where Gene Scott had. He owned it for a long time. So it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I didn't even know that. So we had there... Uh, so Larry Mantle, our Film Week uh, host, he was going to have a, an anniversary screening, 20th anniversary screening of uh, Jackie Brown. And Tim and I were going to go up on the stage afterwards and talk about Jackie Brown and exploitation and, you know, all the things surrounding Jackie Brown that make it awesome. And at the last minute, Quentin said, hey, I'd like to come too. So, uh, and Larry says, oh, I'm sorry, you know, Quentin's going to have to take the lion's share of the discussion. And Tim and I were, of course, furious. And we thought, a Jackie Brown screening and you're going to talk to Quentin about it? You should be talking to us, please. Filmmaker wants to talk about his movie. Let him talk about his movie. So it was really, it was interesting. We got to go up on the stage and sit next to Quentin and basically uh, have the greatest seat in the house talking about Jackie Brown for, for about a half an hour. Now, here's where my long story comes around. Um, uh, that movie is loaded with racial profanity. I mean, loaded with it, as Quentin stuff often is, which is suddenly, you know, a lot more taboo now than it was then. And Quentin's caught a lot of flack for being a white guy that makes movies that, that really wallow in, in black culture, which is not my place to defend, but it's Tim's, and Tim defended him really, really nicely. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is the original book of Jackie Brown, Rum Punch, is written for a white character. Quentin's the one... They're written by a white guy. Written by a white guy, right, exactly. So, so Quentin's the one that took it and put a exploitation veneer on it, you know, made it into a Pam Greer movie. Uh, and uh, the, you know, he, he really fielded some interesting questions about, about that and was asked, you know, what's it like when, you know, people hate on you for this and that? And he goes, it sucks, I'll be honest. But, you know, screw them. Uh, I'm just going to make my movies and I'm going to do what I want. And, uh, and, there, and there it is. And that's the way that people have to defend their movies. And you have to defend Gone with the Wind the same way. Uh, look, I've taught Birth of a Nation in, in college classes. And you, you, you do it not by saying, this is a great movie you need to learn from it. You do it by embracing the controversy and saying, okay, is, do you have to wrestle with this movie? Do you have to wrestle with the fact that there are things that we would not have in movies today were it not for the fact that there was a movie made a uh, hundred years ago that basically celebrated the Ku Klux Klan. Can you wrestle with that? And can you reconcile yourself to that? And I think ultimately you have to. And that's really what the struggle for art is all about, is, is reconciling yourself to the fact that everything is a Janus statue. Everything has a face looking one way and looking the other way. And you really can compartmentalize those things. You almost have to. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be able to look at a Pasolini film and say, you know what, he was a dedicated Marxist and a really messed up guy, but he was an incredibly talented filmmaker. And I can, I can look at the good and the bad and the flawed and the perfect, and I can, you know, I can wrestle with it, and I can extract the things I need to and learn from the rest. There's and, my lecture. And it keeps going with, with Roman Polanski and Woody Allen. Absolutely. You're always having to make that of course. decision for yourself. Yeah, you have to. But you, you, can't, you can't turn a blind eye to these things and, uh, and censor them either legally or personally. I think, I think personal censorship sometimes is, is more destructive than societal censorship uh, because you're pretending that the only things that you can learn from are the things that you can fully accept and digest at first glance. And that's... You're never going to grow as an artist or, or as, a, as a person if, if you do that. Well, the thing that really pisses me off at the most elemental, more contemporary level yeah. is the idea that if seven people on Twitter don't like something, everybody starts apologizing for it. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know what, I don't care how many people on Twitter don't like it. You know what, just great, don't like it, you're right. And I'm a, I'm a history buff, as everybody knows, and, you know, you don't, you don't learn from history by imposing the standards of the present on the people of the past. You have to judge them in their era and in their context. And, uh, and kind of take a time machine trip back and, and sort of look at them through their own eyes. And that's not always easy, but it's essential. And movies are the same way. You know? So anyway, Al, great discussion starter. Thank you for that. Uh, really quickly, got a few others here. Uh, Lauren in Muskoda, Wisconsin says, with the upcoming uh, limited theatrical re-release of Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, do you think old movies have a chance of being a thing for audiences to go out to movie theaters since all theaters are digitally projected and most older movies have been remastered maybe older movies have a chance to come back for a whole new audience what i'm getting at is instead of remaking old movies robocop ben-hur etc what about re-releasing the originals and all their remastered and digitally projected glory does this make any business sense at all uh well his that will never become the primary way a studio makes money they need to constantly be cranking out more ip 
and more superhero films yeah. that drive more people to the amusement park to to go on the Avengers ride. You know, I think that Close Encounters, which is coming out for a week run, right? Yep. Uh, next week. Yeah. That'll be instructive. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek Two will be instructive because Star Trek Two is one of the touchstone films for a lot of the fanboy directors who we're enjoying today. Yeah. Right. Um, so ultimately, I think I'm, I'm hoping it becomes a bigger piece of the pie, but it will never become more than a small piece of the pie. I, I emailed him back, and I and I said, you know, yeah, it, it's it re-releases were originally how movies made money when there was no television and no D, and new DVD and no streaming and no other venue, no no other uh, streams to sell them to. Uh, you just kept re-releasing them again and again and again. If they made money the first time, they'll make a little bit the next time. Gone with the Wind made something like thirty percent of its. Uh, current tally and re-releases, and Disney became the master of that. Some of those re-releases made more money than the original releases. Uh, but that said, I think that it could become a thing, despite everything else, if we get to a movie palace culture again. Because everybody has a, you know, the more that your living room becomes like a theater and the more the theater becomes like a living room, the less differentiation there is between the two. But if you get to a place where we have movie palaces again and people have a reason to go out and, and the, the experience in the theater is more spectacular than you could ever get at home, um, then I think suddenly it might be worth saying, hey, come and see Jackie Brown uh, on the big screen at the Ace as you could never see it at home. And then I think you might get some traction. But it won't be huge. It'll, it'll be limited, but it may happen again. It could happen. Uh, Chevelle Dixon, it's been a while since I sent some listener mail, so I send my thoughts. Loved hearing about Wade's trip to Jordan. Sounded amazing and life-changing and admittedly got choked up at some points in the story. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you, Chevelle. I would love to hear clips from uh, DVD Roundup to hear where you guys started from. Also want to say I've been listening to the podcast for six years and have enjoyed every minute. Uh, I have one question. Now that Dunkirk is doing well and is critically acclaimed, do you think Nolan will be nominated for Best Director and can win? I think he's a front runner and believe he will. Interested in your thoughts? Well, he, well, the movie is going to be nominated. There's no doubt about it. And One he'll be he'll be nominated. And he'll be nominated too. I, I, I think he he deserves to be nominated. If not for that, then for then for what? Because here's the thing: the older members of the Academy love yep. that he's an evangelist for film over digital. Yep. Right. Everybody in the Academy can get behind. As is that. Quentin, by the way. He, he, he was going off on that the other night, too. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What did he say? Oh, it was someone, it was, this kid asked him, you know, are you, why, do, why do you always shoot in film? And he goes, because that's my medium. You know, some people pick oil and some people pick acrylics. I pick film. And, uh, you know, I always think, well, that's great that you used video to shoot your movie, but, it, you know, it's too bad you didn't care enough about your movie to shoot in film. He was pretty, <laughs> he was pretty, he was pretty straightforward about it. So I think he's popular with the older members of the Academy because of his, Love of film. He's popular with the younger members of the Academy because of the Batman yeah. movies, right? So yeah. ultimately, he'll get, it. he'll it's, get He's nominated. due. He will. He yeah. will. I don't know that he'll win. Um, the movie's lost a little bit of its, its critical luster in recent weeks, but um, who knows? You know, it depends how. Well, it, what it else depends is how, out there? I, I don't know. I mean, I mean we'll, we see, have we'll, a whole, we'll see how the Spielberg Papers film does. We have a whole season of stuff, and, uh, you know, last year. Truly, who saw either Moonlight or La La Land? La La Land people kind of saw, but who saw Moonlight? Who well, saw Moonlight, Moonlight coming, was, coming from behind? <clears throat> well, Moonlight was the film where we realized, oh, my God, there's actually all these younger members of the Academy that they've been letting in recently. Yeah. Those, are the, those are the people who push that through. Yeah. Not the older members. No. So we'll see. But it's a whole, so it's, it, it's a whole new Academy now. It is. And, yes, for you know what, what I do want to get all of our older shows up there. Those are all archived. They have not been uh, – they're not uploaded. Put them, but it, cinema, put them on synagogues. Yeah, I'll get them up. Well, they'll be up. We'll, we'll get it all. Like every week you have another one. Sure. Or maybe that week. Like this week in 1999 uh, is what we talked about. Lots of plans. <laughs> lots of good plans. We'll uh, – you know, and, and Ray and Tim have a lot of stuff that they want to get up there too. So uh, Ray's got some amazing stuff that's never been published. So, good Sweet. stuff. And then lastly, Ray Song, uh, leading into this, says, would absolutely love to have an accessible archive of the old box office DVD Roundup podcast. Same thing that Chevelle said. Uh, perhaps when Synagogue's website is up and running. So, Ray, you were, you were ahead of the curve. That's exactly what we, uh, what we plan on doing. Uh, uh, the question is, do I put it up through Libsyn and make it uh, an archived part of all of the podcasts, or do I make it something specific to the site? And make it something specific to the site. Yeah. yeah. We need people to go to that site. Because yes, Wade has 
Big plans for us to make at least five dollars a year on that site. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's. Uh, all right, let's get cracking. We got some new movies and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, this is a DVD and Blu-ray yeah, podcast. I yeah, it sure that. is. Yeah. It sure is. So um, last week we we did talk about Baywatch. They have since sent us the 4K Baywatch, uh, which I have to say is so much better than the Blu-ray. It's the, even more boobalicious. It's the the HDR is uh, you really you, you really absorb the abs. You really do. I just uh, think it was terrible. Did you did you see Baywatch, Mark? Uh, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> That's my review. Yeah, it's really really horrible. Uh, but you know, Dwayne Johnson's great. He's he's he, may, he somehow works in everything. Even when I the movie's him. terrible, he's good. I love him. He's great. You know what? This this is the sort of film that needed um, that needed Phil Lord and Chris Miller. It so did. It really did. Boy, did it did it ever. Oh, it so needed them. If they could have done so much with it, uh, so much potential, so just all missed. Uh, so here's the thing. Here's the last thing I'm going to say about Baywatch because we talked about it last week. The uh, the HDR really, you know, I'm I'm trying to see as much stuff in uh, in 4K and, and Blu-ray as I can to sort of absorb the whole HDR thing. And you know, we're going to get into the weeds very soon with HDR, and the and Baywatch kind of underlines that because. Um, there are different HDR formats. Now, HDR on Blu-ray and 4K, uh, you're, you're fine. But the, the streaming HDR, there are different kinds of HDR. Did you know this? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. So, for example, if you uh, want to take advantage of the HDR that they use on Netflix or in Vudu, which is uh, the Dolby Vision version of HDR, the only televisions that will actually interpolate that are Vizio and LG. So you'd have to blow four or five grand on an LG OLED set or a, Vizio, a comparable Vizio set because they're the ones who have licensed Dolby Vision technology to decode that. It's not regular HDR. Well, we don't it's Dolby have, specific. But we don't want to have to buy a specific TV just to get one specific type of uh, proprietary technology. Right. That's lame. Yeah. So this stuff has to shake out. This is getting into like the old digital sound formats, you know. Okay. So I uh, got a couple of uh, got some interesting films. Well, you know what? First, let me let me hit this one first because this is our one uh, DVD, not a Blu-ray this week. Uh, Killing Hasselhoff. Don't hassle the Hoff. Uh, as long as we're on a little bit of a Baywatch kick, uh, this is from the from the producers of Baywatch, uh, which I guess means David Hasselhoff. Uh, so this is Ken Jeong and David Hasselhoff, which who are both exploiting the fact that neither one of them can be taken seriously doing anything at all anymore. Uh, is it funny? I guess on a very very low kind of cheesy meta level, uh, Ken Jeong is a you know, a nightclub guy who who's in debt to a loan shark, and uh, he sets out to get himself out of his predicament by killing David Hasselhoff because there is this uh, this kind of annual celebrity uh, uh, death competition, uh, and it, it, it none of, the, of course none of that makes sense and it's not meant to it's just a whole lot of shtick it's just Ken Jeong running around trying to kill David Hasselhoff who fights back it's kind of silly and stupid but it they made a movie called Killing Hasselhoff and someday he will be dead David Hasselhoff can't play can't play characters anymore he can only play himself you ever picture like you know the headline that will someday happen Harrison Ford dies at uh, 79 or yeah. like, you know, David Hasselhoff dies at 68. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't really give that any thought. But they're all going to die. I know. Justin Bieber dies at 52 of a heart attack. And speaking of, uh, we, should, we, should, we, we should point out that, uh, you know, because you, you haven't been here since, uh, since Jerry passed. Yeah, Your favorite true. Jerry, I mean, I, I'm really busted up about that because, you know, I... I, I was know. in Paris when he died. Yeah. Yeah, you were in Paris when he died. Hey, they loved him. I know. And you remember our wonderful Lafka evening. You remember then, right? Weren't you? No. With, with Jerry? No. I, I saw Jerry live. I saw Jerry live a couple of years ago. At okay, the that's right. You weren't in Lafka yet. Because, well, you know, he had been the runner-up for years and years and years for the Career Achievement Award. And then one year, I finally just kind of gave it the, the mother of all pitches, and it carried, and I got to go up there and present Jerry his Career Achievement Award. And uh, I posted a picture on Facebook of Ray and me with Jerry Jerry looking like, who are, the, who are these people? Uh, but it's, uh, you know, um, 
I just I'm so busted up. I watched like four Jerry Lewis movies to you know get over my morning. You know what's funny about Jerry Lewis is that people here, you, if you really look at his films, because a lot of people have not seen his films mm, for a long time, true. if they've seen it at all, you sort of understand why the French loved him. Because if you look at something like, like uh, the Ladies Man. With that, whole, with that whole dollhouse it's thing? It's very Jacques Tati. It looks, it looks, like, it looks like Tati. So it's, you totally yeah. understand why the French would love him. Of course. You know? Like, we look at we look at Jerry Lewis like the like the Nutty Proprietor. Blimmins. You know, that's what... We look at the silly part of it. Yeah. But the French look at the intellectual part of it, which we never really acknowledged here, but it was there. Yeah. So sad. Well... And uh, you know, Corey, Corey's very good at doing uh, doing a few Jerry Lewis things. Oh, well, hold on, let me let me drop the Corey things in. Hold on. <laughs> Regularly. I always love Corey doing Jerry. So, a dark song available on Blu-ray. What? Yes, a dark song available on Blu-ray is a uh, an Irish film uh, from writer director Liam Gavin, who's uh, who's an up and coming guy. And uh, it, you know, it's it's nicely done. I wish it were a little more substantial. Uh, it, it sort of basically is a woman and a guy locked in a house with a lot of scary things happening. And uh, ultimately, it isn't scary enough, but it is a competent and uh, occasionally effective film. It just isn't as good as it should be. The idea is that this woman, her son, was murdered, and she she wants to seek well. She wants to talk to her son, so she's gotten the, she's hired this kind of sketchy dude who is an expert in a bramelin. A bramelin is an actual real thing. It's a it's a, it's an occultic uh, way of connecting to your guardian angel uh, and communicating with the with the dead or the the beyond. And it's it's an actual thing that has a, has a bit of a cultural history. Um, who, yeah, I mean, whatever. It's it, 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 it's not something they made up for the movie, in other words. So um, it just isn't enough to really sustain this movie. But Gavin has talent, and I look forward to seeing what he does uh, in the future. Uh, and then other, also we have The Last Face. Mark, did you see The Last Face by any chance? Oh, I, I heard this was horrible. Oh, my word. Uh, this can. Was this not a can that got panned? Uh, I don't even know if it was a can. It's been, this thing's been sitting in the, in the, on the shelf for years and years and years. Uh, the, Sean Penn directed this this just uh, unbelievably melodramatic, overwrought uh, historical romance. This is like Graham Greene meets um, uh, Somerset Maugham in modern day African war zones with uh, you know two two lovelorn white people trying to save all of the dark-skinned people and, and really caring much more about what happens to each other. Uh, it, it, it's a well-intentioned film, but this is like the ultimate misbegotten fruit of white guilt. Because we all know Sean Penn, really, you know, very, very left-wing, liberal, bleeding-heart guy, and which often translates into wonderful things. I mean, he went, you know, after Katrina, and he was, you know, he was a full-on volunteer. And, I mean, the guy, you know, he really puts himself out there for his beliefs. However, it's all very misbegotten in this horrible, horrible movie. Um, it's not a badly made movie. It's just, it's just the violins are just screaming at fever pitch throughout. It's just so over the top. Well, first of all, it's called The Last Face. I mean, come yeah. on. What a dumb name is that? It's not been a good year for Charlize Theron. Did you see uh, Atomic Blonde? I did. I liked it. It was nonsense. It is nonsense, nonsense. but it's fun nonsense. But I liked, I liked how he shot the fight scenes. Oh, the fight scenes were great. Right? Medium yeah. shot, not a lot of cuts. Yeah. I like that. That was great. The rest of it is nonsense. No, well, right, of course right. it's nonsense, but it's fun nonsense. No, fun nonsense. Okay, the movie that... Because the, the, I kept thinking of Ronin yeah. when I saw it. Which Ronin, we're also going to talk about. Ronin was nonsense, yeah. but somehow it was so cool. Because that, that De Niro yeah. and those car chases. Yeah. And it was written by David Mamet. Well, Charlize Theron and Javier Bardem are uh, are physicians without borders, sexually or otherwise, and they're just trying to save the world. And Africa's being torn apart, and they just they can't stop themselves from helping people or loving each other. And there it is. Uh, it's a silly movie. Uh, a lot of money went into this thing. I just it's just it's not in the script. It's just it's just endless. It really is, and it just doesn't go anywhere. But you know, I guess there's some kitsch value to it. Wait, here's a little surprise for yeah. you. A movie called Band-Aid. Yeah. Now, Band-Aid is the uh, directing debut of a woman named Zoe Lister-Jones. Yeah. Whenever I think of Zoe Lister-Jones, I just can't stop thinking of the, uh, the, of the, of the, of the boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, this is a movie that sounds really coy and uh, silly, but it kind of works. It's about this um, strange couple, and they fight all the time. 
And instead of uh, divorcing or breaking up or tearing each other's hair out, they decide to take all of their grievances and start a band and write songs all about how much they fight and how much they hate each other. Fantastic. So this band is comprised of songs about how they fight and what they fight about. And, I mean, the songs are not as good as, uh, as the guy who did, uh, you know, the uh, guy we love. We did... Uh, uh, yeah, Fakakta Schmutzi. You know, we did the, Ke the Keira Knightley film that we love. You know, that, that guy we love, he's done three films. Uh, Carney. Oh, oh, John Carney. John Carney. Yeah. Okay, the, the, the songs are not, not as good as what John Carney would have done. But still, you know what? I just think this it was such an interesting film. It could have been very coy, especially because um, Fred Armisen's in it. And Fred Armisen, I find that guy, like, he always winds up in these twee little coy little yeah. indie comedy things that kind of annoy the crap out of me. But this thing is it's, it's low-key, but it's very charming, and it's very sincere. And, uh, you know, the music is good enough. And I think that Zoe Lister-Jones, uh, she's got a career ahead of her. Yeah. Hopefully she'll uh, maybe direct more. Yeah. Break that barrier. Do it. Female director barrier. You know you Anyway, nice little surprise band-aid. You know you want there to be a director named Fakakta Schmutzi. You do. In a world. In a uh, Megan Levy. Based on the true story of a Marine's best friend. Is it's it a doggy? It's, it's the worst tagline ever. Is it a doggy? It's the worst tagline ever. The doggy! Ever. Now, wait. Now, is Megan Levy the dog or the, or the woman? <laughs> Megan Levy is the woman. Kate Why Mar not call it the dog? I don't Why know. Name it after the dog. Uh, Kate, Kate Mara stars in Megan Levy. It's a true story. Imagine Megan if Le Air Bud was named after, the, after the, uh, the, 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 the parents who owned him. Yeah. So, uh, if, you know, here's the story. Doggy. Here's the deal. Megan Levy. Kate Mara is very good in this. It's not a bad movie. It's, it's, a, it's, quite a, it's quite a decent film. It's not great. It's just very decent because it's a very touching story. And Kate Mara hasn't had a lot of really great roles uh, that put her front and center. She's kind of that supporting person. It's, you know, her sister that's been getting all the, all the plum parts. But, um, yeah, she, uh, she, play, she plays this, you know, young woman who's just kind of a, got a dead-end life and, like, a lot of people who, who've, okay. got no, yeah, who've got no future, they join the Marines. And uh, there she discovers that she has a connection with uh, a, you know, one of these uh, 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 German Shepherd combat dogs, which are, which are trained for, you know, sniffing they're out bombs. They're trained to be stupid. Yeah, well, they're trained to sniff out bombs and that kind of stuff. And uh, so she uh, becomes an expert, uh, you know, canine handler in the Marines. And it is the true story of what she and Rex, the name of the dog, very creative name there. It's the story of, uh, you know, their, their career becoming basically uh, IED sniffers. And, uh, IUD sniffers? That's just weird. Right? Oh, I don't know what I kind of movie that I is. Just I'll knew be honest I, with you. Okay. So... Uh, Anyway, it's a good movie. It's not great. It's it, it's not the thing you should have gone to see in the theaters. It really, despite being an Iraq War movie, it's not really a, a theatrical experience. To be honest, it's 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 fine at home. So uh, you can get it on with. Uh, it's got a, you know digital HD for uh, iTunes and uh, ultraviolet and that whole deal. And um, yeah, rock on. You'll uh, you'll enjoy it. Uh, wait, there's a movie called uh, Chronically Metropolitan. If, yeah. if you think to yourself. A movie called Metropolitan probably harkens back a lot to the work of Whit Stillman. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of uh, Philip Roth. And yeah. you'd be right. And this thing is just uh, it's just a little too navel-gazing. It's, um, it's about a New York City. It's very cosmopolitan-looking. It's about a New York City writer whose name is Fenton. So already I hate the film. Yeah. Because the main character's name is Fenton. And he returns to uh, New York, and he wants to win his girlfriend back, and uh, but she's engaged to somebody else, and... And so, you know, she, he also had written a book based on the life of her parents and, uh, and their failed marriage, and she didn't forgive him for that. So this is all about him, the two of them facing uh, possibly the reigniting of their relationship. And it's one of those things that's like it's a little bit pretentious and it's a little too surface skimming in terms of the character. It's kind of predictable. Um, I, I guess maybe if you like this kind of sub with Stillman stuff, you might get a couple laughs out of it. Good location filming. Uh, Mary Louise Parker, Chris Noth mm -hmm. play the uh, play the parents, and that's always a good thing. But ultimately, um, I just don't get it. So I think this thing just annoyed the crap out of me. Basically, what it did, it annoyed me. And you know what? And I, I, I am not a fan of Wood Stillman, by the way. I am not a fan of Wood Stillman's films. I'm a big fan of Noah Baumbach's films. Yeah, no, Bombach is the man. I'm I'm touch and go with both of them. I'm touch and go. How with both dare of them. you? And uh, then we've got. Uh, and by the way, a very interesting thing has happened. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, the movies that are coming out with Ultraviolet now from Universal and Fox and everybody else, they they mostly don't say Ultraviolet anymore. 
They've abandoned the brand. They're all just saying digital HD, and they're and they're kind of putting the uh, the iTunes logo out there. So ultraviolet's still a thing, but they're 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 having their the brand is struggling. So they're trying to just brand it as digital HD because I don't think anybody knew what. Uh, what ultraviolet was, but anyway, uh, my cousin Rachel with Rachel Vice. I have a cousin named Rachel. Yeah, I know I you do. do. Uh, Rachel Vice and Sam Claflin in my cousin Rachel, uh, based on a novel by Daphne du Maurier, who is most famous for writing the uh, source material for Rebecca, which we also are going to make mention of today. Um, the uh, this is this uh, this is the kind of film that I really should absolutely adore. And uh, I like it. I don't like it as much as I felt like I should. Uh, it's very Rebecca-ish. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a period piece. It's very, uh, it's sort of like, I mean, the thing about Daphne du Maurier, Daphne du Maurier, it was like Jane Austen with a grudge. That's, that's how it comes across. Uh, you know, Jane Austen wrote about people in wonderful romances, and Daphne du Maurier wrote about people with very, very dark secrets that prevent them from having constructive romances. And uh, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a, this is, there's a revenge angle here that's, uh, that's very interesting, probably not played out as effectively as it should be. Uh, and, you know, obviously Rachel Weisz is great as this very dark, femme fatale figure. Um, uh, you know, kind of Victorian noir is maybe the best way to, to describe this. I, um, worth seeing, definitely worth seeing, worth watching, uh, probably more rental than anything else, but, uh, I, you know, I feel like it should have been in the Oscar mix if it had been pulled off correctly, so, unfortunately it wasn't. My Cousin Rachel on Blu-ray. Well, thank you, Ross. Hi, everybody. Let me talk to you about security starring Antonio Banderas and Ben oh, Kingsley. Antonio Banderas, who uh, shouldn't be doing a film like this because nobody can believe him as this kind of a guy, and I don't know what he's thinking doing this film, other than they might have just gave him, given him a lot of money and said, we can get you in and out of here in three weeks and give you a million dollars. Yeah. He plays a guy with post-traumatic stress who uh, tries to write out his problems as a security guard in a mall. And, oh, my God, who enters the mall but the bad guys, led by Ben Kingsley. Antonio Banderas, as the mall cop, whose name is not John McClane, winds up in the, uh, having a mano a mano with these terrible bad people at the mall, running around, presumably going to Annie's pretzels or Wetzel's pretzels, and maybe <laughs> chowing down on some pretzels. And so, maybe. so I watched an Antonio Banderas movie last night that I have to talk about on Film Week. Uh, it's called He's lost it. It's called Gunshy, directed by uh, what's his name? Who did Con Air? Yeah, I did Con Air. Oh, uh, Simon West. Yeah, Simon West did it. It's the stupidest movie I've ever seen in my life. It's, I mean, I'm not going to give much of a film week uh, preview here, but it's, it's so stupid, it's actually funny. I mean, it's so beyond stupid. Antonio Banderas plays an aging 80s uh, hair metal rock god icon who, go, who insists that he's not, uh, I don't speak Spanish, I'm uh, English. That's like one of the jokes in the movie. You go, What? Really? I am English. I don't speak Spanish. Okay, shut up. That's like that's the that, that joke works once, not seven times, until the last time. I'm, oh, he's so good to hear Spanish again. Oh, stop it. Anyway, he goes to Chile with his wife for some reason, and uh, she gets kidnapped, uh, and he's got it, and then he's fighting with the CIA. It's just, it's so silly and so just completely misbegotten, and yet it's so dumb that you you just can't help but laugh at how dumb it is. I. I you remember when Ben Kingsley and Antonio Banderas would have been a movie that you wanted to see? It's like, wow, that's a cast. Well, Ben Kingsley, he's kind of in that weird Man. De Niro phase where, you know, uh, you used to love him and now he does everything and he's lost all of his luster. He's won yeah. an Oscar and he was he was so exalted and now, yeah. now look what he does. Well, anyway. All right. So uh, Lowriders on Blu-ray, DVD and with Ultraviolet, but they're not pushing it as Ultraviolet anymore. Um, this is a Brian Grazer produced thing that this movie really belongs in like the late 80s. It's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's just one of those, you know, remember when we had all those movies that were all kind of about, uh, like blood in, blood out and all yeah. those movies that were sort of about East Los Angeles, Latino gangs and, you know, getting out and, 
and you know c- tattoos c- and, c- and 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 what was the what was the uh, American me the sure. James almost thing this kind of belongs in that moment uh, the, you know low riders is, uh, the cars and the and the, it, it just that it, there's not that's been done to death in the movies from the late 80s early 90s and there's really not any room for this anymore that said they got a good cast and some good performances here, and uh, you know the idea of this this kid who's an artist, Gabriel uh, 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 Chavaria. Uh, he's very very good. He's a street artist, and uh, he wants to you know make right in his life, and that's always a fairly compelling story. Demian Bashir and Eva Longoria are in here. You know, it's a good cast, and it's it's not a badly made movie. It just feels like thematically it belongs to a different era. It belongs 25 years ago. Uh, but that said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slam it. Uh, you know, it's 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 nicely put together. Brian Grazer produced it, so you know there's uh, there's some luster to it. Wait, well, speaking of luster, it's time yep. for us to um, yeah bow down just a little bit to Michael Keaton. Yep, I agree. Early Michael Keaton. You know, it's been a long time since people have watched Night Shift. But do you remember how great Night Shift was when we saw it? I do. And you know what? He's one of the best things in Jackie Brown, by the way. I know. When he's sitting there. And when she's sitting there and she's just cool as ice and she's spinning her whole plan and her whole plot to him and she's l- just lying through her teeth and just trying to sell him on, a, on buying into this. And he's sitting there on the desk and he's bouncing around and you see the wheels turning in his head and he's trying to figure it out. And I, I mean, that's just classic Michael Keaton. It's just beautiful. It is beautiful acting. I, I sat next to Michael Keaton at... Um Rustic Canyon in Santa Monica, you know yeah. the restaurant in Wilshire, yeah, in like sure. ninth or something. Sure. And uh, and I was, just, I think he was, he was being interviewed. I think uh, he was being interviewed. He was on a cell phone a lot. And even just at this bar, you could tell that here's a guy whose brain never stops churning. Never. He's he's almost like a really really smart Razzo Rizzo. Yeah, and he's a good director too. He, he's only directed one film, and it was a good film, but it just didn't get any traction. Well, it wasn't Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom was directed by Stan Dragati, which is kind of a shame because it was written by John Hughes and should have been directed by John Hughes, yeah. but he turned it down. Um, so this is a film about a guy. He plays a guy who loses his job. He's got three kids, got to take care of them. So his wife, played by the late great Terry Gar, has to go back to work, leaving Jack to take care of the kids and, uh, you know, fight off the vacuum cleaner and, uh, you know, and dry his kid in the uh, in the bathroom uh, hair dryer, uh, uh, you know, hand dryer. Yeah. This thing is funny, man. It's a funny movie. Is, is it a great film? No. But it's got a terrific cast, including Martin Mull and Christopher Lloyd, written by John Hughes. You know, if John Hughes had written this, it would have had a lot different tone. Oh, yeah. Stan Dragati is a little bit of a journeyman kind of yeah. guy, you know. Uh, but still, it, it's funnier than you think. Um, it's got a lot of great stuff in it. It's, it, it was, you know, the stay-at-home dad thing was kind of a novelty back then. Yeah. And now it's less of a novelty. Mm. Um, so it's great. It's terrific. It's, and that's from the Shout Select line, who keeps bringing us really, really interesting stuff. Uh, and then we also have uh, some 4Ks this week of movies that have been out previously. Uh, Prometheus, which uh, is, is out on 4K, obviously, because the new Alien film's on 4K. And, uh, you know, Prometheus looks really, really good. 4K. Just want to say that it looks really, really good. Uh, this is probably going to be one of the the more standard 4K. Uh, the HDR is just is really superb. This is uh, it's they really went to town on this, and uh, understandably it was shot on digital, and it's got all the all the credentials to be a, a great 4K movie. A little bit less so are Red and Red Two. I I'm not quite sure why. I like these films. I, I, the, why was there a sequel to this? Lionsgate Summit have thrown both of the Red films out uh, on on 4K, and I think that's just to sort of get some attention because there's not a ton of 4K product out there. So maybe people who don't have a lot of discs will say, "What the hell? I'll get Red and Red Two. But really, you don't need to own these movies. Uh, you don't need to own them in 4K or in Blu-ray. I, I, you know, if you've seen them once, you've seen them as much as you need to. I just don't think they sustain. Um, yeah, why was there a Red Two? I mean, it's a great cast of people. Well, I, I, I love them all. It's got a great overseas cast. It has Helen Mirren, right? Yeah. Plays Mo- well overseas. Bruce Morgan Willis. Freeman, John Malkovich, Bruce, Bruce Willis. Bruce still plays well overseas, although yeah. I don't know what's happened to that guy. Yeah. Have you I, seen the trailer for Death Wish? It looks terrible. Yeah, I know. It looks really bad. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, you know, Anthony Hopkins pops up in uh, in Red 2 here. I, Mary Louise Parker. I I really like the people in these movies. I just don't particularly like these movies. Uh, the, the, the tone is weird, but I know people who, who kind of like it. They think it's got a real nice kind of sadistic, serio-comic vibe, and I don't know. It's not my thing. 
Speaking of sadistic and serial comic, The Lion King Yay. is out on uh, Blu-ray. This is the Circle of Life edition, which uh, doesn't mean much. But um, got a couple of extra extras. Extra extras. Um, the uh, the guy who played the villain, um, David Garibaldi, creating the, um, the interpretation of Scar. We have some of the recording sessions. This, of course, if you didn't know, is uh, the all-time classic uh, 1994, I believe. I'm less of a fan of The Lion King than most people. I, I know people were like, it's an original Disney story. I said, no, it's Hamlet. Stop it. It's not... It's not that original. Yeah, but everything's based on something else. You can't knock it for that. But, but but the thing is, they were saying, oh, it's the first one that's not you know the, that's not based on a fairy tale. Yeah, no, it is. It's Hamlet. Stop it. Hamlet it may not, no it may not officially it may, may not be called you know Hamlet the Lion King or, or or the Lion King who couldn't make up his mind, but it's it's Hamlet. What's it interesting is. too is that it's the you know the music. This this was not the Mencken uh, what's his name uh, collaboration. This is Elton John and Tim Rice. This True. is a whole different situation. Yeah. And they were the golden duo. They were. Right? I mean, it, look, uh, this thing was a phenomenon. It, it it rightfully blew the doors off of everything uh, at the time because it was. It's a, it is a very well made, well animated, well conceived movie. I recognize everything that works about it. It's just not my uh, not my favorite. Not my favorite. Uh, I still I much prefer all the uh, all the princess stuff. I I got a daughter. What do you want? I like the. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? All right, and then uh, two. From one from Criterion and another one from uh, the wonderful people at Cohen. Uh, Criterion, our Criterion this week is Rebecca, another Daphne du Maurier movie. Uh, nicely timed to uh, show the uh, my cousin Rachel people how it's done. From 1940, Rebecca won Best Picture the year after Gone with the Wind. Uh, same producer, David O. Selznick. This was the great triumph of Selznick's collaboration with Alfred Hitchcock, the only film of Hitchcock's that ever won Best Picture. Hitchcock did not, however, win Best Director. And uh, that continues to be something that perplexes a lot of people. However, um, it is also a very, it's much more of a, uh, a Selznick film than it is a Hitchcock film. Uh, nonetheless, it represents the best of both of them. It is uh, this has been out from on DVD for you know many times pre previously, uh, and it was also out previously on DVD from Criterion. And this is the Blu-ray Criterion that will just become the standard of all time. This is an absolutely fantastic release. Has the uh, Leonard Leff commentary from 1990. Tons and tons and tons and tons of extras. There's a making of documentary from 2007 and costume tests and, uh, you know, it's it just, it, there's no end to it. It's all the stuff here is really, really wonderful. There's even an interview with Joan Fontaine from 1980, which is about the latest that I've seen her interviewed uh, anywhere. And it's just, it's great. Uh, everything about this is great. You have to own it. This is an essential film to have in any library. Um, and I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial, but this... Well, it's controversial to me, maybe. I saw Rebecca, the first time I saw Rebecca projected, I'd seen it on television before, but the first time I saw it projected was in film school with a UCLA archival nitrate print, which is one of the most stunning things I've ever seen in my life. You, you have not lived until you have seen Rebecca nitrate projected, which most people never will. It's, you know, there may be two nitrate prints of it existing, and one of them is at UCLA. However, the second best way to see this is on this Blu-ray. It is, it is so beautiful. It is so gorgeous. It even, it, 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 I'd, I'd rather watch this Blu-ray than most things on 4K. It is really, really stunning. So uh, Criterion's Rebecca Blu-ray, do not miss it. And then also a nice rediscovery. Uh, you know, Cohen Media, for whom I'm, I've done a number of commentaries, has recently uh, picked up uh, most of, if not all, of the Merchant Ivory films. And uh, they are doing a great job with them. I, uh, I did the commentary for uh, Howard's End, and now comes Morris. And Morris is one of the more underrated of the Merchant Ivory films. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit different because Ruth Prawarjabvala did not write the screenplay, and you can tell. It's a slightly different take. Uh, it's a little bit more... You know, James Ivory co-wrote the script, so it's much more tilted towards his sensibilities as a writer. But um, it's still a really, really fine film. It is significant in the E.M. Forster canon because uh, Forster wrote this but did not publish it because it was basically a, a gay romance that was much based significantly on his own uh, sexuality and his own experiences. And Forster was a closeted gay man most of his career, so this was not published until the 1970s. 
So, you know, after his passing. So uh, Morris holds a very, very unusual place in the E.M. Forster canon, but uh, it is still a really, really good movie. And uh, this is, a, this is a, a Blu-ray from a 4K restoration of the original negative, uh, overseen by James Ivory and Pierre Lum, who uh, was the cinematographer, and uh, lots of great extras here. Um, uh, audio commentary uh, by James Ivory. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good movie. It's a darn good movie. So, uh, Morris, highly recommended. 30th anniversary 4K restoration on Blu-ray. Ronin is out again on Blu-ray. Um, big fan of Ronin. This one is done by Arrow. And uh, considering that this has been out before, Arrow did a great job putting this scene together. Brand new video interviews with, um, with um, the DP. And... Uh, <laughs> They have this thing in 1994 feature out in the film called You Talking to Me. It's, um, it's, all <laughs> it's an appreciation of De Niro by Quentin Tarantino, who we talked about earlier. We have a, there's a thing on composing the score, and um, it's really good. This film is just terrific. It looks great. It's a new 4K scan, 1080p HD. You know, the film obviously takes place in a lot of gray environments, you know, garages and these you know, cobblestone streets. But it looks terrific. Uh, sounds terrific. It's got great um, uh, car chases, obviously, which is what it's known for. But it also has a great script with uh, a uh, uh, polished by David Mamet, working under a pseudonym. And uh, it's got a great cast. Stellan Skarsgård, Sean Bean, Jonathan Price, obviously um, uh, De Niro, and uh, Jean Renault. Big international cast. Terrific movie. Really kind of a one-of-a-kind film. I remember seeing the trailer for this film, thinking there's, there's a shot in this trailer that makes me think this movie will be a hit. Yeah. Because at the time, this is like 1990-something. What was this? What was this new movie? Uh, this is 1998. Oh, wow. It's late as now, eight. Now, oh, 1998, okay. yeah. you know, CGI, it wasn't what it is now. Now we yeah. expect it. Right. And, but back then, CGI was a little bit of a, not a novelty, but like, oh, look at CGI. Look how cool yeah. it looks. You know? Yeah. But there was a shot in the trailer where they take a bazooka, mm -hmm. and they're driving down a mountain road. Yep. And the bazooka blows up the car in front of them. Yeah. And the car flips over on this mountain road, and they have like a big helicopter taking that shot. Yeah. And you knew that that was not CGI. Yeah. And at, at, at the time when CGI was becoming the new plastic fantastic thing, yep. here's a shot of an actual car actually flipping over on an actual mountain road, and you know there's no CGI, and you're like, this one's cool. Yeah. And it was, and and it's uh, it's kind of become not a cult classic, but a, but kind of a beloved film in that world. So John Frankenheimer killing it, uh, his last great film, Ronan. Check it out. Arrow did a great job on it. Uh, some more stuff from Arrow. We got a couple of a uh, couple of horror things. Uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo set of Madhouse. It's uh, a Madhouse. You ever see uh, Madhouse? Madhouse is kind of uh, one of those giallo deals from Ovidio Asonitis. Now, Ovidio Asanitis uh, is the guy who picked up the, uh, the baton from James Cameron and, uh, and made Piranha 2 the spawning. Uh, that's his claim to fame. And he then went on to make Madhouse, which is, uh, you know, uh, kind of a weird, odd, giallo, Hollywood exploitation hybrid thing. It's uh, all shot in Georgia, even though it's an Italian film. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's not as, how do, how do I put this? It's not as, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a haunted house slasher movie, but it's not as gory as a Giallo film, or it's not, not as sort of self-consciously shock gore as a Giallo film, but uh, it, it's, it's also a little more in that vein than what was being done in Hollywood at the time. So it kind of splits the difference between the two, and it's, you know, for fans of the genre, I guess there's a there's there's something to be said about this. It comes with a lot of extras to kind of contextualize it. Great audio, shockingly good audio. Um, there's an interview with a cinematographer and a uh, new interview with uh, Asinitis himself. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's a thing. Uh, similar is the Slayer. The Slayer is hysterically cheesy. I don't know if it deserves a DVD Blu-ray combo. But uh, this is directed by J.S. Cardone, who is also one of those guys who just made tons of these kinds of movies over and over and over. Uh, this is just straight up uh, secluded island slasher stuff. Uh, there's no, no compromise. That's exactly what it is. It is, uh, it's, 
you know, unapologetic, it's gory, it does its thing, and then it, uh, it checks out. This is a 1980s slasher movie without uh, any veneer. It doesn't, it's not trying to be a good movie, it's not trying to be a, an acclaimed movie, it's not even trying to be one of the best of its genre, it's just giving them, giving them blood and gore and a really obvious setup. And that's it, tons and tons of extras here, isolated score bits and interviews and uh, makeup in, interviews with the, uh, the makeup people, and it's just, it's, uh, they load this thing up because they know what the fans want. You know what the fans should want? What should they want? Mike Figgis' first film as a director, the uh, forgotten, but should not be forgotten because it's really cool, even if it's just an exercise in style. Yeah. Stormy Monday. Nice. Now, Stormy Monday is, uh, it's weird because it's, it takes place in the 50s and 60s in Newcastle, right? Yeah. The score, now don't forget, Mike Figgis, as you remember, it was, and I presume still is, a, a, a very talented musician. And the film has this kind of this avant-garde jazz score, really interesting stuff. It was by Mike Figgis, who's obviously a musician, but it feels like kind of feels avant-garde jazz. There's a lot of Polish musicians in it, um, but he takes all of these other European influences and he just adds a huge, just syrupy, delicious dollop of just noir visuals and noir iconography. And he just makes this thing into a really cool little film. It's with um, Sean Bean, who we just talked about. He's in Ronin. He plays this uh, guy, owns a jazz club, and the jazz club's owned by Sting. And, and uh, the jazz club owner is under pressure from this American crime boss to kind of get himself a piece of the action at this club. And, you know, what it's about is not that important. It's really an exercise in style, but a really cool exercise in style. And uh, I just like this film a lot. I had completely forgotten about it. At the time, it was a little bit of a mini, like, oh, Mike Vegas, who's this guy? Super cool. Melanie Griffith is in it, too. So I would definitely um, take the time to uh, discover Stormy Monday. Good DVD and Blu-ray combo, thanks to Arrow, including an uh, audio commentary by Figgis, which is moderated by a, a film critic, Damon Wise. And, um, yeah, there's a tour of Newcastle, then and now, which is really super cool, because I love that I'm a bit of a Euro freak. Um, so yeah, Stormy Monday, very good stuff. Tommy Lee Jones, Sting, Sean Bean, Melanie Griffith, pretty much the only people who are in this thing. Um, not a big cast, but Roger Deakins shot it, so you know Roger Deakins, you know. Come on. Uh, beautiful stuff. Stormy Monday, definitely check it out. Nice. And then uh, rounding out the rest of the, uh, the, the Arrow stuff is uh, a couple from the Arrow Academy line, which is, which is the more legit stuff, the less exploitation-y, fancy, pop culture-y stuff. Uh, whenever they want to get really uh, criterion-y, that's what they do. They throw it over onto the Arrow Academy line. Terror in a Texas Town, really interesting uh, Western. Last film directed by Joseph H. Lewis, who had done things like Big Combo and Gun Crazy, uh, with a script by Dalton Trumbo. And uh, the... Uh, the screenplay credit, of course, went to Ben L. Perry because Dalton Trumbo was blacklisted at the time. And this is one of his more interesting, um, more one of the angrier Dalton Trumbo scripts. If you sort of know that it was written by Dalton Trumbo, you see all the, the political commentary in it and you sort of feel his, uh, his rage seeping through. Um, very, very interesting film, very interesting Western, and uh, really worth rediscovering. This is from a 2K restoration, has a great batch of extras on here, including uh, an in this really interesting introduction from uh, Peter Stanfield, who's written a lot about these kinds of films. And then the very fine The Love of a Woman, the Jean Grémillon melodrama, which is... You ever seen this? This is great. This is also the last feature of uh, Jean Gramillon, who's a, a, just a terrific and very underrated uh, French filmmaker, uh, which is all takes place, it's one of these great uh, kind of uh, sexual allegories that takes place on a, on a, on a remote island. And um, it's about a, a, a young woman who is replacing the doctor, but everybody else on the island, the, 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 the one doctor who's on the island, and almost everybody else here is, is male. And of course, you know, she immediately becomes a sexual object, and then there's a romance that ensues, and lots of very interesting commentary. Uh, it's a really, really interesting movie. Um, really worth re uh, checking out if you've never seen it. Uh, the, uh, the Love of a Woman, a Blu-ray DVD combo set from Arrow Academy. And then the last two uh, from the, uh, the Arrow line this week are two really rather amazing box sets. Uh, you, you, these are, I mean, if you're a fan of these, you're gonna go nuts. Reanimator. 
this is the complete big mega arrow reanimator with the uh, two disc limited edition, uh, the unrated version on disc one, and then the integral version on disc two. It even comes with a reanimator comic, a limited edition exclusive. The original 1991 comic book adaptation, 92 pages, all of this, tons and tons of extras. Stuart Gordon, who's a really nice guy, uh, who's actually guested in, in Ray Green's class at Loyola a few times, um, this is kind of his, his high watermark, to be honest. I think uh, Gordon really, despite all of his kind of cheesy movies, this is the one that everybody seems to remember and pays attention to. It's, you know, very Frankenstein-esque, but it's Reanimator. I mean, come on. Well, he, it's, you know, he's lived off that for decades I know, at this point. I know. It's like George Romero. Yeah. Uh, tons and tons of extras here. So if you're a Reanimator fan, this is a Blu-ray DVD combo set with a comic book, a 92-page comic book that'll just completely set your, your, your hair on fire. And then lastly, I cannot recommend this more highly, uh, Kinji Fukasaku's New Battles Without Honor and Humanity, the complete trilogy. Kinji Fukasaku, of course, uh, very influential on Quentin Tarantino, the, a, a classic figure in Japanese cinema, uh, great crime films, his Yakuza films, uh, just, just a tremendous figure in the 60s and 70s, and um, uh, this is just, uh, this is amazing. Uh, if, if you're a fan of his stuff, you will not be able to do without this. Uh, this is just, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just beautifully transferred. The films are great. DVD and Blu-ray uh, versions of all of them. Uh, this is just perfect, perfect uh, fan fan fodder. So you get all the teasers and the theatrical trailers for all the films. Uh, you, you get a new video appreciation from his biographer, Sadao Yamane. Um, it's great. It's really, really great. Interviews with the, uh, with the screenwriter. This is terrific. So Kinji Fukasaku fans can celebrate. You get uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, the complete trilogy, in this fantastic Arrow box set. It is to die for. And with that, Mark, we will be uh, back next week. The countdown to your departure continues. We've got some great interviews banked for future shows, by the way. Yay. So next week, we're going to have a really good interview. And uh, we will see everybody next week.